Welcome everybody to Silicon Slopes Live in partnership with Utah Door Association. We're excited to have Charlie Bessie here from Koala Tree. Thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so to begin with, why don't you go ahead and tell the background story of Koala Tree, where the idea came, came from, how it all started, um, give us the good background details. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little bit of history with Koala Tree is the idea and concept really started with uh, sustain sustainability and diving into reusing, reducing, and recycling, um, repurposing, right? Um, we, when I was at Skull Candy, I had found out about uh, the plastic, plastic island um, and was working a little bit with Vice to try and do something to raise awareness with it. Um, that didn't end up happening, but what it did is it, it sparked an interest in me of what can we make with plastic? And I was going to magic trade shows and, and fashion trade shows where Skull Candy kind of, um, you know, jived into that mold and just fell in love with fashion. And so when I found out that you could make T-shirts out of recycled plastic bottles and x-ray films and lunch trays, um, it got my mind spinning. And it's like, wait, I can make uh, T-shirts for skateboarders that will last longer, be sustainable, reuse plastics out of x-ray films? Like their, bro the, their broken arm x-ray film uh, could turn into a T-shirt? It's pretty cool. And it, it seemed to really resonate with the action sports and outdoors industry. And that's, that's really the, the first piece of the puzzle that we put together. And then from there, we branched into a full brand where we made everything from jackets, uh, pants, um, blankets, et cetera, out of sustainable fabrics. That's awesome. So you mentioned school candy. Tell us a little bit more about your background specifically and what um, drove you to create this company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ever since I was little, I feel I, like I remember at 12 at school just getting bored and uh, feeling like, huh, there's something, there's something besides this uh, um, style of life that I could be branching into younger. And my dad saw that and, and he grabbed me and kind of put me under his wing and started giving me books to read. Um, the Millionaire Next Door or Self Made in America. And, and I just grabbed to it and I started thinking, oh, how can I make money um, and have purpose? And I had a basketball coach that did lawn aerating. So he started having me at 14 do some lawn aerating with him. And then the next season I said, oh, well, I can buy my own lawn aerator and do this myself. And so that's really what got me into entrepreneurism. Um, and I made uh, $35,000 um, the second year I was doing lawn aerating. And then the people that were working with me also made around 20000 So I, I saw this as a real viable thing to not just help me, but to help the people that, that uh, I loved around me. And then from there, I went into concert promotions when I graduated high school. And that's where the owner of Skull Candy kind of grabbed me to get headphones on to Snoop Dogg and G-Love and Special that's Sauce. Awesome. It was. It was a lot of fun. I and, and so then I kind of started my venture in Skull Candy. And that's what got me into the outdoors and action sports. Before then, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be a psychiatrist or work uh, at a youth center. Um, I really had a passion for giving back to the youth. Because once again, at 12 years old, I was getting into trouble. And really, I had people that saw that I was just bored come and grab me and give me opportunities to go read at the, at the library. Um, there was a rumor that started that I, I was a, a, a challenged learning kid because I would disappear about halfway through my classes and just leave to the library. And I learned the Dewey Decimal System and how to rearrange all the books in the library. And I would go rearrange books at the library with the librarian. And uh, That's so amazing. <laughs> I did that for seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. <laughs> That's awesome. That's way cool. So as a startup CEO, 
there's so many different tasks that you're involved in, anywhere from taking out the trash to overseeing daily operations. Um, can you talk to the importance of doing those things at the beginning, but then also later on, um, maybe what tasks were your favorite, which weren't so favorite, process of passing those off to other people and trusting that process? Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Um, I have kind of a unique story. The first five years at Qualitry, I was um, the vice president, and my business partner was, was the CEO. We were both founders, and we both really worked aggressively together to problem solve. But what I saw um, some CEOs doing in the industry was alienating themselves from their coworkers as well as their uh, consumers. And what I think that that makes you not, you know, it makes people nervous to approach you and it takes away the creativity that you can keep front and center focused in within the team and your customers. Um, I come from a big family of seven, so I believe in, in open communication as well and an open door policy. So for those first five years, um, I kind of learned this is the things that I want when I step into this role. Not knowing that I was going to step into the CEO role, um, I was just observing. And so when I did step into that role in 2016, when um, you know, those partners went on and did some other things and we brought in a, a more experienced uh, uh, owner team, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna jump on board with this. And one of the comments one of my old workers said is, you're too nice to ever be a good CEO. And rather than let that bother me, I actually let that fuel how I, how I, how I did it. And um, I love taking out the garbage still today. I dislike collecting money from shops. Um, so those are, uh, so yeah, I disliked, um, you know, getting all of the product supply chain in because I'm not a math guy, but I would just do it with my gut. And so I like that we follow data now and that there's a lot more streamlined process with that. Um, and, and some of the things that I really love is product development and getting creative with the product um, and taking something and saying, hey, you know, I wear denim all the time, but the denim that I was wearing was getting me hot or it was, um, you know, it wasn't comfortable. So I went and made my own denim that's, that fixed that. Or there's a hidden zipper in the back here. You can put your, you know, valuables in while you're traveling and I lose my stuff all the time. So it's kind of just curating those products that have multi-use and I would love to use. That's my favorite thing to do. So That's awesome. And that kind of leads into the next question. You mentioned that um, you really like the, the product development process. Um, so it sounds like you do get heavily involved in the selection of products, but kind of talk more about that process and how you guys do select products um, and determine when to launch those and where to launch those. Absolutely. Um, once again, with Qualitry, kind of a unique thing, that I, and I tell these stories because I think that um, other business owners can, can benefit from it um, or entrepreneurs. Our first five years, we were doing what I did at Skull Candy. What I learned there was, you know, direct to consumer is not important. It is all about going to trade shows and playing that game of getting into retailers and building a brand. And in 2010, that was very true. Um, what that benefited us is we would create around 50 SKUs per spring line and 100 SKUs per winter line. So that's fast fashion, right? We're making clothing as quick as we can, and then six months later, we've got to have a brand new line to show Urban Outfitters, because if we show them the same products, that doesn't make sense to them. They need new and fresh. So we chased that dragon for about five years, and we created you know, probably a 1,000 SKUs. And so that was what we were running into in 2015, is we'd created all these amazing products, but some of them, the ones that were selling out, Urban Outfitters would say, oh, well, the reorder time is, is past, so now we need a new product. 
And so we were, we were in a cash flow forward model and we were the banks to these retailers and they were telling us that these creative products we made, we needed to make more and different ones. So it seemed like a, a backwards program for about a year, myself and the other business partners tried to figure out, is Kickstarter a route for us? Is direct to consumer a route for us that's more sustainable? Um, and what we landed on is that yes, that is. And some of the business partners didn't want to take that journey. And so um, myself and the new partners in 2016, we streamlined this idea of going direct to consumer and using Kickstarter um, to be kind of our barrier to entry. And we started with the Kachula Adventure Blanket. Um, how we came to that was it was a waterproof flannel fabric that we made a flannel out of, but it was a little bit too stiff for a flannel. So we took that excess fabric and made it into a blanket that also doubled as a pillow that tripled as a wearable poncho. And so the fact that it was multi-use, sustainable, unique, um, and something that wasn't as sizable that could branch out to um, all demographics was the reason we went with that product. And um, that just kind of continued us taking those old hundred SKUs out of the hopper and bringing them back into the line was, can it be multi-use? Can it be sustainable? Um, and can it go from a want to a need in the product line and help people's lives that way? And so after the Kachula blanket, we were you know, kind of deciding what other products to launch. And um, out of the hundreds we had, I looked at all of the ones that packed into themselves. And I said, okay, there's something here. And then all those ones that packed into themselves packed into a packable backpack. And so you could take this packable backpack, keep it in your car, literally travel to Europe for a month, and that's all you need. And you won't come home smelly because of the antimicrobial, the um, you know, moisture wicking, et cetera. And that's when I said, okay, that's all of our products that we're launching for the next three years. And that's really the course that we've stayed on, um, is just staying true to that. Other shiny things have come in throughout it, but um, as a brand, that's been one of our core mottos is to stick to those um, original products, improve them and make them better, but make sure that they're, they're you know, crossover multifunctional products. Those are all, they sound like amazing products. Um, what is your favorite of all of those core products? Um, my favorite is the Trailhead Pants. Um, those are a fun story. We got, we, we produced those and uh, we threw them in the corner. So this is a great example of sometimes what you mess up on. Your failures can be your greatest successes. We were in that process of producing a bunch of clothes and, and for the trade show and one of them didn't make a cut. It was a Trailhead Pants. It had a weird buckle here. And one of our rock climbers and skiers, Hayden Price, he came into the office and he's just like, oh, what are these? Like a magnet. He just gravitated to them and pulled them out. And he's like, what are these? And we're like, oh, those are a failed pair of pants. Forget about it that you even saw them. And he's like, I'm going to take them and use them. I'll, I'll let you know. Well, a week later, he came in and he's just, you have to make these. And he, all the reasons why we had to make them and the changes we should make. Um, so we did that. We trusted one of our ambassadors and, and we went forward with it. And by 2016, it was named the number one climbing pant by Climbing Mag and the, the number one hiking pant by Outside Magazine. And we didn't pay for any of those placements. So just that story behind it. And then as I started using it, right, he starts convincing me we make the changes and I put them on and I'm like, I had my own aha moment of like, whoa, these work. I'm in Jamaica and like the, you just pull them up like this and then when the mosquitoes come, you pull them down and... Um, so that, that really, that really was a, a, a great product that I still, I still wear all the time today. Um, and the fact that we get a reduced plastic and take 
you know, I'm, I was coming out of the ocean in Florida, Miami over um, March, and I'm picking up, every, people are spring breaking, and I'm picking up bags of garbage, and I go to my wife, I'm like, we got to do more, like, this is crazy, and she's all, you make hundreds of thousands of products out of recycled plastic, that's a good start. So that's that, a great start, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So you mentioned a couple of sales channels, but what have you found are your best sales channels and maybe some pain points that you've come across along that process? Absolutely. Um, yeah, sales funnels are so important for, for any business, right? That's how we keep things going and keep the lights on. And Qualtry has been blessed to kind of try all of them. Um, and our favorite one is Kickstarter. Um, and I was telling Bree this earlier, there, it's for multiple reasons. Um, and each person will have their own approach to it. Um, but for us at Qualitry, we had spent, you know, five years really building with the retailers. And so the feedback we were getting was mainly at trade shows and mainly um, from these buyers. And to be able to plug in to consumers and to people on Kickstarter that they want to be involved. They, they, and they're creative, and they're fun, and they, 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 uh, they have a, 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 good, a good voice. Um, so to plug into that and immediately be able to talk to our consumer directly and then ha have them help guide us to the next products or, or what's important to them was, was very valuable to us. Um, we did the Trailhead Pants, and it did about a half a million just, just under that. And we had no idea to do trailhead shorts. We just didn't think the fabric would work for it. We didn't think that it would, it would uh, set right on the thighs. And after 100 people or so from that campaign saying you need to do shorts, we did them. And then we've done over a million dollars in short sales today. And that would not have happened without Kickstarter. Um, so I, I think that, that alone has been really valuable to tap directly into your consumer. I also think of the beautiful thing about Kickstarter is you never know what it's going to do and who's going to gravitate to it. Um, so there's two examples of why I really like this. One of my friends, um, Blake Hansen, has a company, Dead Fish, that he dreamt up, he dreamt up in his head. He's like, hey, I can, I can do this. this, this I, can, I can make this knife, this premium knife company come to life, and it comes cased in a cutting board. So you flip the cutting board over or the case open, and then that's a cutting board. And Kickstarter loves multi-use stuff. So um, he'd been working on it for a few years with his wife doing the video and, and some of the design and then him doing the product development. And then he pressed go at the first of June and was really nervous about it. And he did over $170,000 on it in 28 days just by himself, right? So now he's got a viable business. Um, he's also worked with Skullcandy, Neff, Polaroid, so he knows what to do now. He's got the platform, and he's going to go make, turn this thing into a million-dollar business. That's awesome. It really is. It's so, it's so amazing. Without Kickstarter, he wouldn't have been able to do that because it would have been, okay, now let's go raise capital to go to trade shows um, or put a business out there on Facebook ads that you're, you're kind of hoping works where it's the knife category, and that's a little tougher. And then um, on the flip side, there's a guy that's a friend of mine, Joe, from Listen Headphones, and he has a lot of capital behind this company that is a glass company that'll basically, it, the technology um, stops the water from beating off the sides. And he was debating Kickstarter, and I told him one thing. I'm all, well, if you're looking for market research, regardless of money, Kickstarter is the best place to go because you don't know very much about this industry, right? No, I don't know very much about it at all. I know about headphones. And I said, well, then this is your opportunity to dive into that. The people that do know about this industry on Kickstarter will back it. And it, then you'll have however many people on Kickstarter to help guide you through understanding what this industry is. And a light bulb clicked for him. 
He's like, wow, that's incredible. You're right, I'm going to go this route. Um, some of the fears around it are, oh, does this look cheesy if I put it on Kickstarter? Or we had buyers that told us they wouldn't buy from us anymore if we did a Kickstarter. So there's a little bit of that um, in there, and I, th I think that's just the resistance trying to kind of stop people from using that platform. That's great advice. Um, in this industry, there are a lot of things going on. It's very busy. How do you differentiate yourselves as Qualitry in um, this industry? The first thing that comes to mind, and this took a lot, we've been in Qualtry's been around for 10 years, so this took a lot of fine tuning, but um, value, value yourself highly. Um, you know, without, without the ego coming in strong, you know, know that what you have is, is valuable. Um, you know, when you're creative, when you're out there building as a business um, entrepreneur and you have a team with you, there's something special there. And, and it's, a, it's a really fun space to grow, to learn, to curate friendships and bonds. Um, and I think that for me, that's, that's really one thing that has continued to get me up every day doing it is the people that I do it with. Um, and I value them highly. Uh, I, I, you know, when, when people at our business succeed, I genuinely feel a personal achievement myself because I love and care about them and that keeps me going. Um, and then that also leads me into a few of the other th reasons why I get up to do Qualitry over the last decade is um, the bigger we get, the better we get at giving is a big motto of mine. And, and to be able to have something hit like COVID and people can say they were bored or whatever. And I look back and I go, well, first my priority was to help Qualitry stay afloat and our, our team, you know, understand what was going on. And then our team went right into supplying PPE for anyone we could. We sent out on our newsletter that we could supply people. We had firefighters and policemen and all sorts of people reaching out from around the states. And we would just sync them right up with our supplier. So it's just like, hey, here, these guys are, are who you need to talk to. And then we went down and gave 10,000 masks to Southern Utah, which no one knew in June that they were going to need them for that whole year. So it was a massive blessing. But that's really where we took our, our efforts is anytime that we're feeling um, – deflated by the industry, we turn our attention then to giving back. And we're working with the YMCA right now to get teens into Qualitry gear because that's a, a, you know, a time period in high school where what you're wearing really matters. And, and we, we're, we're working to um, you know, have it be more than clothing but a full mentor, mentorship. And we've done stuff like that in the past. And so I think having a, a community tie back and a give back and then putting people over profits is what has kept us differentiated beyond the product, right? Like you got to have a product that you believe in, that you see fulfills a need that's not being met right now. Um, so similar to being married, right? If you see a need that your wife has to meet and you're like, hey, I can meet that, that's a brownie point. And that's how I see creating products for society, right? Is like, hey, there's a need there, let's go out and create it. Um, but that's the simple one that everybody grabs to. This, the stuff that they don't always tell you that that I've found kept me going when the times were tough was that give back to your own self, to your employees, to your company, and to your community. And, and that really, it just comes full circle back to keep you going.
That's amazing. Um, you mentioned a lot of different pieces of how Qualitree gives back. Another piece of Qualitree is the sustainability piece. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why that is so important to you and how that has become such a big piece of Qualitree? I mean, it's the founding story, basically. Absolutely. It really, it really is. Um, we felt like, and we started out on a farm for the first five years. The reason being is that people were really grab gra grabbing to the organic lifestyle within food. So that's really kind of where we, we morphed those two. Because it's not just about what you put in your body, but on your body, right? And so when I was looking at that fast, fast fashion world, and I said, I don't want to be a part of that. There has to be another way to do this, where the dyes aren't toxic, and where um, it's not... Right now, some places in... in China, they're making plastic just to turn it into clothing because they want to do recycled plastic for some of those big box companies. So I kind of, from the beginning, saw through that uh, greenwashing and just wanted to be a part of the true, authentic way of being sustainable, which means you can't do everything perfect all the time. There's going to be a carbon footprint. There's going to be some products that have virgin cotton, right? But what we can do is start looking into every facet and every way that we can um, stop putting chemicals in clothing and repurpose old, old junk into clothing. So we do a lot with recycled plastic bottles and with coffee grounds. Um, when, co when you take coffee grounds, there's, because of this program with Syntex, there's zero coffee waste from the island of Taiwan, um, which is massive for a small island to not have to ship stuff off. And with coffee, if you keep all of that there and compost it, now it changes the pH and, you know, it, there's a lot of issues that happen with that. So it's not just us, it's Patagonia, it's North Face, um, it's Lululemon, and we, we together we're able to focus on making the world a better place, because I believe that there is a problem with pollution. Um, that's something we can visibly see with our eyes. We can all agree upon that there is a problem with pollution. And so if we can turn that into usable clothing that's quality, that can last a lifetime, um, that's going to make me sleep a lot better at night and know that I'm part of the solution and not part of the problem. I also think with Qualitry, outside of just a sustainability approach of what we're doing, um, we started with giving away 10,000 grow bags in the beginning and promoting people to go out and encouraging people to go out and grow their own food in their own gardens. Because that just create what it does is it sparks a conscious consumer. So uh, there's a, a, a lot of people out there, too, that said, there's no way that I can grow a garden. And then, you know, a year later, they are coming back. Hey, look at these tomatoes I grew. Look at these peppers I grew. I tell everybody to start with a salsa garden. Because, um, you know, who doesn't like salsa? And, and now some of, the, some of these people, are, including members of my family, are, are on their, you know, seventh year of growing gardens. And it... it, it that's a big give back that we do too with sustainability because it creates more conscious, sustainable humans. Um, and if we can just be a small fraction of that, that's really why the brand started. The name Qualitry, Quality, um, you know, kind of focusing on consuming things that are going to give back to you and not just be fast fashion. That's amazing. And to that point, you are selling these things to these consumers, but also teaching them things that they probably didn't associate that with at the beginning. And so it also keeps that brand in their mind. So it's, it's a great piece. 
Yeah, give him a little empowerment. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned Kickstarter as a piece of advice that you have for entrepreneurs. Do you have another maybe single piece of advice, top of mind, that you would give to somebody starting a company or um, maybe already in the grind of, of being an entrepreneur? Oh, man, there's a, there, there, there's a lot of, of uh, bits up there that I've learned, but uh, build bridges, don't burn them. That's a big one. Um, I've learned so much from, from so many people that I work with, and had those bridges ever been burned, I would have stopped myself from learning a lot of great life lessons. Um, and that's tough to turn off those emotions, right? Take that time to center yourself and to realize the world isn't ending, um, another one that I really like that ties into that, uh, that one of my mentors and the chairman of our board told me was, don't turn a $10,000 problem into a $100,000 problem. And I think a lot of us entrepreneurs do that, right, mentally. Um, we're so passionate about what we're doing. We're so in the moment um, that if something can derail that, even if it's a small thing to an outsider, to us it can be big. So there's a saying that entrepreneurs wake up feeling like they're going to take over the world. By noon, we literally are, are, are defeated. And then by five, everything's okay again. <laughs> and and, and when, when one of my mentors told me that, uh, I, 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 it clicked for me and it shifted. And it came on a paper that I put into my, my daily affirmations still today. I actually read it today. And um, that shifted me from a lack of abundance mindset to an abundance mindset and to a, a, a healthier problem-solving mindset. So I would, I would say that, that when you can keep that problem-solving resolve um, w with less emotion in there, you're able to get more creative and have more fun. Um, I could have spent a lot more time over this decade having a lot more fun. And um, I think that, that that approach really helped to, to bring that, that fun back into the, to the equation. That's great advice. Um, I have one more question, and then we'll open it up to audience questions. Um, but what are some future plans for Qualtree? What's, what's on the horizon? Yeah, um, I'm excited. We're growing, um, and we're showing an OR, outdoor retailer, for the first time since they lost, left Salt Lake. And um, so we've been doing direct-to-consumer and Kickstarter, um, private label, and, and we've been really staying hands-off from retailers. So I'm excited to go back in with people like Zoomies and Backcountry and some of these retailers that we had a lot of fun growing the brand with. Um, we never did get into Zoomies. I've always dreamed about it because I think that it would be so much fun to tell this message to a lot of, of the younger generation. So that's something that we're really excited about is, is getting this into retailers and continuing to just spread the positive message um, that you can be a part of a brand and have fun and there's no cool guy involved. That's awesome. Perfect. Any audience questions today? So you talked a lot about gathering feedback from consumers. How exactly do you do that? What's been the most effective way that you've done that? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. No, I love that. I, I, uh, I, I re really respect people that, that are data-driven, and that's what I'm working more towards. So my grassroots approach has always been to go out into my community. Um, so I'm doing a board game right now, and um, I went to every, I knew nothing about board games of the community, right? 
And so I went to Oasis, Oasis Game Cafe and Night Game Cafe and all of the game spaces, and I just started playing games with people. I just showed up, and if they wanted to play World of Warcraft, I did. If they, you know, it's like I just started understanding these people and, and, and becoming um, acquainted with them and, and honestly then falling in love with their genius, right? Um, and then you're like, hey, I'm passionate about this now. This is a good place for me to go. Um, farmers markets was a big way we did it with Koala Tree um, because we knew that people going to farmers markets were probably going to have an opinion on what we were trying to do with sustainability and that would be a good a good place to start and then you can build from that but if when we had when you have um, limited funds and let's say it's just you and an idea that's when I really reach out to the community on a granular granular level and I find so much value in that uh, maybe I only get the chance to talk to 10 people, but I, then I go in and, I, and I, I regroup where I was at before then um, because I'm going to get so much information that way. What I do with um, Koala Tree, now we're looking at doing some new trailhead shorts for women or some trailhead pants colorways. So first we pull it within our own um, you know, internal team. And then we take it and people that come into our office to, or our storefront, we then ask them to, to give us their opinion. And then we'll also send it out to social media and our Kickstarter um, platform and kind of see what we get back. And a lot of times it does surprise us. Um, and we'll make colorways that we didn't think were going to be the most popular. So it all depends on where your resources are. And I can, if you have something to elaborate on that question where you're like, okay, hey, this is where I'm at, I can curve it a little bit more to that. But I think that getting outside of, it's great to start with your family, but then you really got to move outside of that because what your mom says to you is, is great and everything, but it's going to be a lot different than what someone else's mom tells you that might be more valuable for you. Absolutely. Other questions? Yes. Um, it seems like you're a happy, kind, loving person, <laughs> and you've got the flowing locks, and Oftentimes, that's a different personality than some cutthroat entrepreneurs <laughs> um, and people, vendors, partners, right? There's all sorts of different personalities. How do you manage that as being a little bit different in appearance and outlook in life when you're dealing with kind of cutthroat, they go by the spreadsheet type of people? Well, I'm Viking, so I let that guy come out. Um, <laughs> um, very, very, very good question um, because it kind of ties back to that that um, be, that that ability to be vulnerable. And some people uh, look at that and say, "Wow, you're too nice. There's no way you could be a good CEO." And, and that, you know, that looking back at that, that kind of makes me sad now because I think that there is a wave of new a new mindset post COVID of CEOs that can be vulnerable, that can care about people over money. Um, and I, I just think I'm kind of one of the ones paving the way for that, along with an, another group. There's a group of us that kind of share information, which in, in, in the trade show world, you don't get that. Everything's airtight. So for, for me, I've had to make a lot of hard decisions, too. You know, I've had to um, set boundaries. I, I would say setting boundaries is probably the best way that I've been able to do that. Because it takes, once again, the emotion out of it, where these are our... Um, mission statements. These are our mottos. This is our culture at Qualitry. And so if you step outside of that culture, we're going to try and give you all the benefit to bring that back in. Um, whether you're one of our vendors or one of our 
employees or somebody that we make product with, we're gonna, we understand mistakes happen and things, things happen. But when you continually come outside of our boundaries, then, then that's where we have to draw the line. And so I'm, I'm a, you know, I had to let a, a, an employee go a few weeks ago that had worked with us for four and a half years. Probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I've been friends with him for 15. Um, but there were habitual boundaries crossed and, and I, had to, I had to show up and I had to do the hard stuff. So I don't like doing that, but I, I think that that's just being willing every day as an entrepreneur and a CEO to look at what is ahead of you and then being willing to do whatever it takes to do that in, in a way that's, that lines up with your morals and the morals of the business, right? And those are different for everybody, but at Qualitree, the, the new founders that came in with me, um, the board, they have big hearts and, and uh, they've helped us to, because I can be hot or cold, right? So I'm super nice, but then if you keep crossing the boundaries, then I can go over and get hot. And they've really helped to create that culture of um, not, not having it be that hot or cold, but having it be those boundaries. And, and that's tough. I mean, and if, any, if anybody here that is a parent, um, I look up to parents and ask parents a lot of questions because I do believe that, that that helps me be a better CEO. I have 29 nieces and nephews. So I think just, you know, everyone's a big child and we all want to be respected and loved and valued for what we bring to the table. So at Qualitree, that's our number one thing we're going to do. But don't let that be for, you know, mistaken for weakness, because if you come to the table continually with something else, then, then the boundary will be set. Um, and that took me five years to figure out. So the, great question. And if anybody can take anything from that, that will stop them from, um, you know, sleepless nights where they're getting taken advantage of, then, then definitely I hope that helps. Thanks. Any other questions? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it, and we're excited to see the future of Qualtree. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate all of you guys. And my one thing to leave it on with it being an entrepreneur is create the mindset of growth mindset and being a professional problem solver. Because when you're a professional problem solver and you love that and you like genuinely can trick your brain into being like, sweet, a problem. It doesn't matter if it's customs or if it's a tough choice with an employee, your brain really does see it as a game and it, you can approach it in a lot healthier way. Awesome, thank you.